Welcome to the Jewish Spotlight. You know, in Jewish history, there are certain events, of course, that had a tremendous impact on the way and direction that Judaism took during the course of the ages. But there was no event like the event of the giving of the Torah. And last week we started talking a little bit about the exodus that the Jewish people experienced when they came out of Egypt. But that whole exodus was for a very important purpose. It wasn't just to be free for the sake of being free. It was for the sake of going to Mount Sinai to experience something that had never occurred in the history of mankind, a revelation of God to the Jewish people. And what we're going to do is we're going to continue our study of the Torah portions, as we did last week with Rabbi Blasovsky, going into somewhat of a, a deep understanding, what exactly are these sections of the Torah talking about? What is the meaning of these different events that are described in great detail in the book of Exodus? And for that, we have with us a very qualified individual, somebody who is a dear colleague who is out here in Long Island working very, very hard for the Jewish community and a great scholar as well, Rabbi Chaim Grossbaum of Chabad of Stony Brook and Lake Grove. Rabbi Grossbaum, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you, Rabbi Talbot. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, listen, we're looking forward to going to this, but before we go into a little bit of the Torah portion, I just want you to tell our audience a little bit of what you do in the area, because I know you're involved with many different things, in addition, of course, to teaching Torah, you're doing all types of things with many families, and I think it's important for people to know a little bit of that. There's a lot to do, and there's so much, so much that we have already done. You mentioned what have we done. Uh, there's still so much more that needs to be done. Um, each day we can look at it as if you know, we're studying today the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai and how can I bring that message over to the Jewish community or the community at large well, in, in Lake Grove or up north by, by Stony Brook, Setauket area throughout the entire region many people, whether Jew or Gentile are called the Chabad house called the synagogue with a question about Judaism or with a question about right. ethics say Rabbi, what do you, what's your opinion in this? And I drew up from the, from the Torah and from the Ten Commandments uh, an answer for them. So, should we get right to the source then? You ready? This is where it starts. Okay, let's, let's dig in. Find a lot in. Okay, first of all, give our audience a little bit of a, of a perspective on, of course, here we have three million people leaving Egypt. And we're studying this Torah, we're trying to understand, put ourselves in the head of the people who were actually making that exodus. They're making a tremendous leap of faith, so to say, to go into this desert. Now, can you imagine a Jewish mother taking their kid into a desert, not knowing where they're going to get food, where they're going to get clothes from, what's going to happen? Describe for us a little what the sages say and what the tradition says about the experience of the Jewish people as they were leaving Egypt. Question might be broadened somewhat in uh, in every Torah portion that we study each week. I ask myself: the Torah being given by God, God being infinite, so therefore His knowledge, His wisdom is infinite, and He gives us this Torah as a message, not only as a history book uh, for back what was then. That's not the purpose of the Torah. The Torah is actually telling us how we should live today. So in the year 2001... Ah, that's a very important point. Can you go into that a little bit more? Because I think that the, the relevance of the Torah's messages to people today is something that many people are missing. The, the, the instruction for that was actually at, by, when going out of, out of Egypt. Uh, we have the commandment and it's spoken about on Pesach at the Seder table. The whole Dovidar in each and every generation we just see as if we are that very year, that very moment going out of Egypt. Right. And so too, so too, when we study the Torah portion each week, we review. The question that I ask myself is, what is this 
teaching me and what is it teaching me today? Not what it has taught me last year or what was the message for my parents, my grandparents, but what is the message today for me? I may have studied this last year, but thank God I'm alive and well this year. There's something new that's being taught to me. I'm not the same person that I was last year, therefore the message is new. Therefore it relates to me differently. And that's a question I think that everybody could ask. You, know, all, you have a beautiful audience here that's watching here tonight, they, that they can ask themselves, what is the Ten Commandments, this exodus that was going out? So I ask myself, yeah, like you say, Rabbi, I'm going out of Egypt, I'm going out into the wilderness, I'm going out into the desert, I give up the slavery of being enslaved uh, to the Egyptians, and now what do I have? Well, I, I, got, I have 613 commandments to do. I thought I'm going free. And now before they, they gave me one set of instructions, and now I'm taking on myself a, uh, an enslavement to God. So, what kind of, so the question is, what kind of freedom are we experiencing? If the Jews are going out of Egypt, and 49 days later, they ended up in Mount Sinai being given 613 commandments, so a person could ask, well, this doesn't make any sense. They're going from one form of slavery to another. So what's the difference? Good question. And the answer can be actually quite lengthy. Um, but if I was to answer that brief, I, I, I'd say that true freedom True freedom can only be when one surrenders himself, allows himself to connect onto the bandwagon, allows himself to connect to God, to infinity, which is there's no greater freedom than being attached to the infinite. Because, because by connecting to God through these commandments, God is connecting us to a, a power higher than our own nature, so we're really able to liberate ourselves in a great degree from the limitations that we naturally have otherwise. Well, if you want to uh, challenge the issue, well, is freedom, if I was to go out of Egypt, the bondage of Egypt, and I'm no longer enslaved to build uh, pyramids or whatever it may have been, uh, and now I'm free to be, free to live here in America, beautiful America, I love it here in Long Island, Am I, am I free? Putting Torah aside, am I free? Or am I bound by the disciplines of society? Well, you have to pay for a mortgage. You have to take <laughs> the garbage out when your wife wants. You have to make sure you pay the bills. So there are so many disciplines that, that we're locked into. Right. Uh, but yet, those very, those very disciplines, if they would be for a higher purpose, going to work, to make a living cycle, pay for them for the body or pay for the food bill. If they are part of an infinite, then we release uh -huh. beyond the okay. limitations of man and reach infinity. Right, so what you're saying, from what I understand is, which is a well-known part of Judaism, is that what we're doing is we're taking the very mundane, and the Torah here, of course, is given for people in the world in a day-to-day -day life to be able to take the most simple activities that they have and to elevate them to, to something godly everything we do. Right, to transform it. Actually, Rabbi Talton, you mentioned an interesting point. Uh, we find that right in the, in the Ten Commandments. Okay, good. Let's jump in. In the Adibros, the Ten Commandments, I recall as, as a child first being intrigued by this before knowing that the question has already been asked by generations of rabbis earlier, 
the first, I'm studying the Ten Commandments, and I would expect the Ten Commandments, belief in God, okay, uh, don't take God's name in vain, okay, but then it gets on to the other commandments towards the, the second half of do not kill, do not steal, do not be jealous. I say, Ten Commandments? <laughs> Ten Commandments is, is God so that I have to choose. Yeah. Ten from all 630 commandments. I mean, there are ten spiritual commandments. Do I need God to tell me don't kill, don't steal? I live in America. But the message I learned, and I had to share uh, with you and, and your audience, is exactly the point that you had mentioned. That even the mundane, the message of the Ten Commandments is, that, that's the point, exactly that's the point, that the, our very life, going to work each day, or eating and sleeping, what is the purpose of it? What is the purpose for sleeping so that we can have energy to serve God? What is the purpose of eating so again, so we can have the energy to serve God? What is the purpose of going to work so we can support our family, that they and ourselves can live a godly life? So therefore, is being godly only uh, when I'm saying the prayers? Is being godly when I'm fasting on Yom Kippur or having the Seder on Passover? The message of the Ten Commandments is no. Being godly is that, and also when you go out to work, and when you're going out to the gym. After work, if you're jogging, why are you jogging? Are you jogging so that you should be healthy and well, so that you, should, you can continue to serve God? Then that in itself becomes the service of God, just like fasting on Yom Kippur. So what you're bringing up is a very important point which, in which Judaism, because we do believe in monotheism, and of course, one God to us does not just mean that there's one God up there as opposed to two, three, four, or five gods, but it means the one God that is all-encompassing of everything, the physical and the spiritual, so that there's really no difference between the physical and the spiritual. We can find God as much in the physical as we can in the spiritual. I recall reading... Uh, you, 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 you stimulate my, my, my thoughts, Robert. You're very good. Uh, Thank you. In, you're welcome. In that dealing with stress, in the bigger America today, how do one deal with stress? There, there's so much that's pulling uh, on us. There, there's so much that is, is competing for our time. Right. Uh, we need to be at home. We need to be at work. We need to take care of ourselves. We need to take physically, spiritually. How can we do so much in a day? What do I do first? When we see them all as a challenge, each on their own, each challenging for their space in our life, then we feel the stress. I need to go to the gym to take care of myself. I need to go to work so to support my family. I need to go to prayer to take care of my spiritual well-being. But yet, as you had pointed out, when they're all directed all to a certain, to a, to a focal point, to a single unit to serve God, is how will I use the minutes of the day to serve God? Well, in the morning I'll sit down for breakfast, and that will give me energy. I'll sit down with my family, possibly, and we're together uh, saying a bracha, a blessing before we eat, a blessing after we finish eating, to show that the food that we eat is not just for the body, but it's part of the service of God. I go out to work. I am now serving God by going out to work. If I go to the gym midday, so therefore going to the gym is part of the service of God. What am I doing all day? I'm serving God. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because 
what you're talking about now is really something that many people are not aware of, is how Torah itself, and these simple lessons that the, the Jews were given 3,300 years ago, how can it have an impact on aspects of people's lives that people would never imagine religion could ever deal with? In other words, most people think you deal with Judaism, religion, what is it? Oh, it deals with feelings of the heart, philosophy, theology, my relationship with God, but we're talking what you're talking about is really, wait a second, no, no, it doesn't go that way. What we're talking about is that it's all one thing. You can't make that dichotomy. And when you make, bring it into everything, so it brings the message of the Torah into those stressful aspects of a person's life, into the difficult, the challenging, the obstacles, the opportunities, the good, the bad. And it's all part of that oneness. When I'm, when I'm at times uh, speaking to someone about Torah, mitzvahs, this Torah portion, another Torah portion, I'm doing the person a physical favor, putting religion aside. If you could divide it, you can't divide it. They will enjoy life. They will enjoy life better by right. being observant. People come, as I'm sure, by your Shabbos table, and they sit, they'll quell, Kvel, is there a, an English word for kvel? They'll bubble over with, with happiness. And, 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 and as, as if I've got something that they cannot have, and they say, wow, if, if only, if only, every home here in Long Island can put aside time to think about God, to dedicate that there's a, more of a meaning to life. Hustle, bustle, we're running, we're coming, we're going. Take time. We're so busy making a living, do we stop for a moment to think, what is living? What is life? So you have that bubble in time of, you mentioned bubbling over, well, how about that bubble in time of Shabbat, where for the 25 hours, we're with our family. We're at home. We're looking for value, looking for ethics, looking for what is life, living. And that's probably one of the reasons why the, the mitzvah of Shabbat ended up as one of the Ten Commandments because it's considered to be such a key commandment in God's perspective as far as one of the gifts that God gave to mankind an that this gift. is such an important thing to put it into the Ten Commandments. An, an, an amazing gift. If people would just dedicate themselves to it, I mentioned dedicate, also connected to the Ten Commandments, and, and this week's uh, Parsha, which you, we are discussing here, Parsha Yitro, where we become slaves to God. And that's an important key. We must surrender. Is slaves a good word, or it would be more like we're serving a higher purpose? A servant of God, surrendering ourselves, we'll do it His way. We won't decide, uh, well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll uh, serve God. Okay. Uh, one thing everybody likes to do is to control their lives, right? So, and people go through tremendous expenses, both financially, emotionally, physically, to keep control over their lives. Now, what Judaism's coming along and saying, hey, wait a second, buddy, you, know, you might have a good system, but God had a better system. So what you need to do is just surrender your system and give it over to a higher system. That's a very high thing know, to ask you know, a person to do. You know what's beautiful about God? He, he lets us, and on, on, on the country, he encourages us to enjoy life. Right. He is not looking for us to separate ourselves from God become spiritual and let go of everything and have nothing. Sure. Be involved in the world. Exactly. Enjoy life. But we not enjoy be... life just for the life itself, just for the mundane itself. Enjoy life because that is godly. That is godly. Right. On, on Shabbat, we're to eat well, we're to relax, take care of yourself, 
And you could do that on a Tuesday afternoon also. Yeah. <laughs> Shabbat is different, though, right? It's to a higher degree, to a greater degree. No, it's, it's very true, and I think it's such an important message because people very often think of religion, they, they put into a separate category, and the fact is Judaism really isn't a religion. These people who stood on Mount Sinai weren't taking religious do doctrine from God when they were saying on Mount Sinai. They were a family, the 12 tribes of Jacob, who were literally taking, this is the family mandate, this is the purpose that the Jewish people have for centuries to come, to be able to fulfill, to be able to bring Mashiach, to be able to make the world a better place. And it was, it was not that they were there for a religion lesson. Their life became synchronized with, imbued with, with spirituality. Uh, I like that. They, they just, they're, they're living, they enjoy life with, while they surrendered it, themselves to a higher purpose. Right. Okay, let's get back to some of the details here. First of all, quickly tell us, who is Jethro? Jethro, of course, is the person who, after whom this portion of the Torah, there are, there are uh, over 50, 53 portions of the Torah. Jethro is one of them, the one immediately following the Exodus. Who was he? Well, uh, Jethro, Yitro, in, uh, in the Hebrew text, uh, he was the father of Moses. The father of Moses, his daughter married Moses, Tzipora married uh, Moses, and uh, together they brought up the family. And uh, it's interesting he, that the portion of the Torah in which the Ten Commandments are given is named after a non-Jewish, right? Not after Moses, but a non-Jewish father-in-law who was, in fact, he was a uh, like a priest of another religion. Of, uh, and he studied many. He studied uh, the Torah teaches that he studied all the religions of the world. As already practiced and served all and he says after he heard when he heard what God has done for the Jewish people he says now I know that they are truly the godly people and their message is the true message for the world okay so he went out to greet Moses he says I want to be part of what you're doing all right so we get to Mount Sinai and what happens on Mount Sinai of course there are many different commentaries about the how there had to be Jewish unity amongst the people who were there when they first arrived on Mount Sinai do you have anything to comment on that there's an interesting verse just prior to the receiving of the, the Torah, and I think it's fundamental. Uh, for all time, as we mentioned, we search, what, what is the message for me today? Well, here's something extremely important, and uh, uh, if we can all live by it, the world would just look a, be a brighter place. Sounds it would good. just be the world. Let's that, that <laughs> And that is throughout the, um, throughout the writings of the Torah, when it speaks about the Jewish people coming and going, they've come into Mitzrayim, into Egypt, they, the term is used, they came here, they left Egypt, again the word they, <coughs> in the plural sense. Grammatically the word is for, and they have camped next to uh, Mount Sinai, but Yachanu, the, the U at the end, would signify that it's the plural sense, that they have camped. But yet when the, they camped right outside, the receiving of the Torah, it says, Vayichan, Vayichan means, and he camped. He? We're talking about millions of people over here. What's going on over here? It's a, it's a nation. It's a, it's a group of people. And throughout, consistently, you always saw it. They traveled. They came. They went. They stood up. They, they heard. They spoke. And here they camped. It does not say that they camped, but Vayichan and he camped. So right away, all the commentary jump at this and say, what's going on over here? The God-given Torah. Could it be, God forbid, a mistake? That couldn't be. So what is the, what, what is the message here? Then, and what is the message here today? That to receive the Torah, the Jewish people knew, and they had, they had unity among the people. There was pure, there was clarity of vision. 
clarity of vision beyond the mundane, they, the spiritual was obvious to them. When the spiritual was obvious to them, they no longer saw a distinction between themselves and their neighbor next door. Uh-huh. So therefore, when, when it's all clear that God created this world and all that's throughout the entire globe, we're all one. We're all created by God. And so they saw, when they came to Mount Sinai, they felt the aura of God and it was no longer, well, this is me, I'm here, you're there. We're one. They saw the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And He came. They were all so united that God spoke of them as a single person. All right. That he can. That's definitely a message we could all take for today. No <laughs> question about that. Something to work on. And uh, work on. when they finally experienced, of course, the revelation of Mount Sinai, so of course there were many different explanations of what happened there and the intensity of the, exp- of the revelation that took place. In fact, of course, the Jewish belief is that God revealed himself to all three million people who were standing on Mount Sinai. For the first two of the Ten Commandments, there was an actual revelation to each and every single person standing there, and their souls literally left their bodies. They weren't able to withstand the revelation, so they went to Moses and they said, you take the rest of it, we can't handle it. And this, in fact, teaches us, of course, a famous saying, Torah tzivol on Moshe, the Torah was commanded to us by Moshe, and the word for Torah, for this, these lessons, the five books of Moses, the Torah, is the numerical value for 611. In other words, the first two commandments we received from God, and the other 611 were commanded through Moses. The Torah, Tzivah, Lona, Moshe. But of course, at that time, there were unbelievable miracles and incredible things that happened during that revelation. Can you tell our audience a little bit about those revelations? There was a lot. You, you've, you've said so much here. And I'd like to possibly... Okay, sure. Uh, Whatever you want. On, on, on two of them. Uh, that they, the miracles, uh, and it was was such that the world stopped. You ask, well, what type of miracles were there? The, the common, what was common and and, and uh, tangible to them beforehand. Birds were no longer were not chirping when the Torah was given. Birds did not chirp. The world stopped. Everything was taken. That in the world was prepared to hear the receiving of the Torah. The midrash tells us. Actually, that nature turned around. It's a very, if you, uh, like to hear a little, a, a short, I'll try to keep it brief, a Hasidic interpretation, a Kabbalistic interpretation regarding the receiving of the Torah that the two of the verse tells us um, they heard the lightning and saw the thunder. Yeah, they saw the thunder, heard the lightning. Isn't it the other way around? Right. Well, there's a message here. The norms were changed around there. Items that seemed to be tangible, items that, that I could see, as I'm looking at you here tonight, I, I see you, I know you exist. The world, the mundane world, which it symbolizes, I thought exist, was heard. Hearing the thunder, seeing the lightning, lightning is usually seen, thunder is heard. So I'll go back and I'll explain again the something which was is kabbalistically uh, teaching us items which were seen more that we were more sure of earlier, something I could actually see, now became something distant. They heard the lightning, the mundane world, which until the receiving of the Torah they thought was real. Now when they see the Torah and they see actually they feel God, they say, "Well, maybe that mundane world." I thought it was a world for itself. 
and it was self-existent. Now I say, you know, it was created by God. So they were actually transported to a completely different level. To a different level, different level. Item spirituality, which was distant, something which they only heard the thunder, which is symbolic about something which is spiritual, they only heard about it, understood spirituality, they saw the thunder, they saw spirituality. Mm -hmm. and, and that was what, which was the truth at the moment, which was obvious to them then, mm -hmm. and which we can carry with, carry with us today. And another thought is that you mentioned there are millions of people People ask me, say, Rabbi, Rabbi, how could you prove to me that the Torah was given? I mean, give me a break. It happened so many years ago. I say, hey, there were millions of people there. If it didn't happen, there would have been a large percentage of people saying, Moses, uh-uh, you're writing in the Torah here that we receive the Ten right. Commandments. It didn't happen. And there would have been generations, groups of people today of the people who were living, whose ancestry lived, were living then, who saying, said, no, it didn't happen. it was false, right. Saying, Moses, don't write that. How could you write that at the moment? He gave them the Torah, and or he says... Or else a whole generation would have had to come along, and everybody and agreed they would agree. to make a conspiracy against their children to tell them above a falsehood, which, of course, they wouldn't do. And that didn't happen. And that didn't happen. You don't find anyone saying... They, they might question, they want to understand, they want to feel... So when they're asking the question, did it really happen? They say, Rabbi, please impart with me your, your feeling so I can become comfortable with it. And it's possibly a question, I'm not prepared, like I mentioned earlier, people want to control their lives. They don't want to surrender. But possibly, yeah. What's, what the question that they're asking is really the question of the soul, and they wish to surrender. Mm -hmm. So really, just to wrap up, because we're getting to the end of the program, I just want to ask you, that this ties into something that was said after the giving of the Torah, Nasev and Ishma, that we will do, and then we will understand. In other words, surrendering is a word, it's a very heavy word to a lot of people. It, it means, like, am I giving myself up? Am I giving up my personality, giving up everything I am? But I think what, what you're saying is, or at least the way I read it, is that that surrendering is really a matter of saying, you know what, maybe there's a different view of life different than what I have concluded during the course of my years. And maybe there's something I should open up a book and be able to read about, or a wisdom that I can find out. And if I can start to take on some of this godly wisdom and experiment with in my life, I'll find out that surrendering or giving over to a different perspective would be very, very enlightening for me and a way of raising myself, rising, raising myself above my limitations, my hang-ups, my shtick, my inhibitions, my whatever it might be. And that is Nasev Anishma. That helps a person to first do whatever is right and then later on understand it. Any comments on that? We have to end soon. That, that, that's what it is. I would just encourage all your listeners, do a mitzvah today. Uh, Start with one right. good deed. Love your fellow manager, love yourself. Do one good deed. And that will be the beginning for more to come. Okay. You'll Rabbi thank Gu me one day. <laughs> Rabbi Grosso, I thank you for now. You're very I welcome. appreciate uh, you coming, and I wish you a lot of success in all your work in Lake Grove at the Torah Community Center in Stony Brook and your work on campus at the Chabad House and with all your uh, many, many congregants and people should have tremendous success. It's a pleasure being here with you. Thank you very much. In the meantime, I think we should all follow Rabbi Grossbaum's advice. Go out there and do a mitzvah, not have an ishma, even if it hurts, even if it doesn't make sense, even if some, for some reason it just seems to be strange. Go on and do it because, you know, it's the right thing to do. And when you do the right thing, you'll know it eventually. Take care. Have a good evening.
Sim, 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 sim,